So we are in the parables of Jesus series. And so this uh, parable that we're going to cover here this morning is one, of, is one of my favorites. You know, all the parables. How can you say one is your favorite than the other? It's all Jesus's words and he's speaking to us. So they're all awesome and powerful. But this one is a really, I, I guess, a neat parable for us as Christians. So this is this is a parable for the body of Christ, for us that are in the kingdom of God. Those that are sons and daughters of God. Right. So before we get into the parable, I just want to introduce the parable by asking you this question. Have you ever asked the question, what's in it for me? What do I get? What's my pay? Have you ever had somebody get you to try to volunteer and sign up for something? And instinctively you want to ask, okay, well, what do I get out of it? What, what's, what's my due? What's my pay? What, what am I, how am I going to benefit? Anybody ever had that thought? Or, or, or maybe you've worked really hard. You've worked very hard on your job and, and you thought you deserved to get something a little extra or a little more. Anybody ever felt like that? I felt like that. Really worked hard, sweated, put a lot of effort in, and you're anticipating that God or somebody is going to give you a little something extra, give you an, an extra blessing. That's human nature. That's how we all are. We, when, when you work hard, you expect pay. When you, when you, when you're diligent and, and you sweat and you give your effort and your energy, you expect to be compensated. That's natural for us. And the disciples of Jesus were no different in Jesus' day. And the disciples of Jesus today are still no different. But in Jesus' day, the disciples didn't understand why Jesus came. The, the, the disciples in, in that day believed that Jesus came to set up an earthly kingdom. They didn't, they didn't know he came to die. When he would start talking about death and dying and crucifixion and, and, and all of this, they were confused. And even Peter, he would say, that's, Lord, that's not going to happen. Far be it from you that that would ever happen. And Jesus had to rebuke him. So they had no clue. They, they thought Jesus was coming to set up an earthly kingdom to overthrow Rome who were, who, who were oppressing the Jews. And so this was their view. So Jesus constantly had to try to teach them lessons. Try to explain to them about the kingdom of God. How does the kingdom of God work? The kingdom of God is different than our earthly kingdoms. The kingdom of God doesn't work like worldly kingdoms work. And he was constantly trying to get them to see this. And so, you know, as you read through the Gospels, you'll read accounts of the disciples arguing, you know, amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest. And there was this one account in Matthew 19 where they had this rich young ruler that came to talk to Jesus. And he asked Jesus a question. He says, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, first of all, Jesus tries to deal with his condition. He tries to get him to recognize that he needs to, to repent. And so to answer the rich young ruler's question about how to inherit eternal life, Jesus says, well, what are, what are, what are the commandments? And he said, well, honor your father and mother. And he goes through some of the the, the commandments and Jesus says, well, you, you spoke well. And he says, well, I've done all of those through my youth. I've, I've kept all of those commandments. And Jesus was trying to get him to the place to realize that even though he has kept the commandments, that he still had a need in his heart. He still had a need for a savior that nobody can perfectly keep the commandments, that none are righteous, all are guilty. And this rich young ruler missed it. So then Jesus says, you still lack one thing. He says, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, then come and follow me. And it says the rich young ruler walked, walked away sad that day because he had a lot of money. He didn't want to make the sacrifice. He didn't want to own up about who he was, and he didn't want to make the full commitment to follow Christ. So guess who was listening to that conversation? Jesus' disciples were listening. And they said, wait a minute. You said that he needs to sell all that he has? Give to the poor? Give up everything? And come follow you. And, you know, as Peter always was, he was a spokesman. He spoke for the disciples. They were when 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 the, when the other disciples didn't want to speak up. Peter says, don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of that for you. And so he opened his big mouth and he said, he said this in, in Matthew 19. It's Matthew 19, uh, 27. It says, and Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? What are we going to get? Jesus. What are we going to get? We've given up everything. What are we going to get? What's our reward? What are we going to get paid? What's our due? 
And he under, Jesus understands that he doesn't get it. There's, Peter and the disciples are still thinking, okay, if we're going to give everything we have to follow you, to go after you, you're setting up an earthly kingdom. That must mean we're going to be your generals and we're going to be leaders of your military and we're going to sit on this throne and sit on that throne and be in authority. They didn't get it. They had this view of, 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 of pay, of earning, of, of, of currying favor with those that are in authority. This was their view. And so Jesus tells a parable to speak to the heart of the question that Peter asked. He tells this parable. And so this parable speaks to the disciples of Jesus' day, and it speaks to our heart as well. So let's read the parable. It's, it's 16 verses, starting in Matthew 20, verse 1. So we'll read through it, and we're going to go back through. And I believe God God wants to, to, to teach us all, to remind us all this morning about how the kingdom of God works in comparison to earthly kingdoms. So let's read the parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I, I, I will give you. Verse 5. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? But they said to him, because no one's hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, this is the end of the day, time for people to get paid. The owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers. And pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. The ones who worked the last. Just that one hour from a twelve hour day would have been from six to six. So from five to six, those that worked one hour got paid a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. It's a powerful parable. So what's the point of the parable? The point of the parable, the idea is, is, if you, is you've got an owner of a vineyard. And, you, and he, he, it's harvest time. It would have been harvest time. And during, during uh, harvest time in, in, in ancient Jewish t- times... Because harvest was a lot of hard work, they would, these owners of vineyards would hire day laborers to, to help get the harvest in. It was very critical that, that, that they would get it in on time, and so they would hire day laborers. And so this is the picture. It's real simple. It's not, not complex. Hired day laborers. Some started at 6 in the morning. Some started at 9 in the morning. Some started at, at 12. Some started at 3. Some, well, five, and then some started at five. I lost count. My, my, my math is not that good. Uh, but the point is, is some worked 12 hours, some worked one hour. And he agreed to pay them a denarius. And a denarius was a full day's work. A full day's work. And it, 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 it was the pay that it took to run an entire family for a full day. It was very uncommon for day workers to get that much money. So this, this owner was very generous to give a, to give what it took to, to, to feed your family, to take care of your family for a full day. So he's very generous. But these workers that worked only one hour, they got the same pay as those that worked in the scorching heat and they were grumbling and complaining. And so Jesus tells this story and then he says this last phrase, the last shall be first and the first last. And he's making a point. And the, so the point of the, of the parable is this, is that everyone's equal. Everybody gets the same. So again, we're trying to see this through the lens of God's kingdom. How does God, God's kingdom work? Everybody is the same. Nobody's better than anybody else. And at the end of the day, 
What is our reward? What, what do we all get if you're a Christian? Eternal life. We all go to heaven. There's no tears, levels in heaven. You're, you're, Pastor Anae and me and all the pastors here, we're, we're not going to have the penthouse suite. We're going we're gonna to be in heaven. So, you know, Scripture says, said, Jesus says in John 14, he says that in my house are many rooms. The King James Version calls it mansions. But it says, in my house, better translated, are many rooms. So people think that we're going to have all of our separate mansions. You know, I'm going to have my mansion with my stuff and my golf course and all my goodies and, and all the things that I like to do. This will be my turf and my area. And then right down the street next to me is going to be Pastor Freddie and Pastor Byrne. We're going to be chilling and hanging out in, in each, each of our mansions. The Bible doesn't say that. It says, in my father's house. Under one roof, everyone dwells. And this is what he's trying to explain to his disciples. You're trying to jockey for position. You're trying to move your way up the corporate ladder. But I'm telling you, the one, it doesn't matter if you got saved 25 years ago or if you're the thief on the cross and you got saved an hour before your death. You all go to heaven and you all live under the roof of your heavenly father. There are no levels in heaven. And this is the message he's trying to get across. And that's the main point. But I think there's some other thoughts. As, as, as I was praying and as I was thinking about this parable. Lord, what, what is it that we all need to hear as Christians through this parable? And, and you, know, you know, that one point about us all being equal is very important. But I think there's some other lessons about how the kingdom of God works that I want to, to bring out to us. The first one is this. First lesson for us is that we have all been given a trust. We have all been given a trust. Let's let's go back to, to, to the text in Matthew 20. Uh, I, I highlighted some words here in verses 2 through 7. It says, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Then in verse 4, he says to the next group, You go into the vineyard too. And then verse 5, they, they, so they went. Verse 7, let's, let's keep going. And it says there, these last groups that went, it says, you go into the vineyard too. So God, so this, this, this owner of this vineyard, he's sending out workers to go work. So we're looking through the lens of the kingdom of God. We have all been given a trust. We've all been called to go into the vineyard to reap the harvest. You have been given a call from God to be a gospel preacher. You've been, you've been given a call from God to be an evangelist for the gospel, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You have the ability to influence people in ways that I can never influence on a Sunday preaching to all of you. The multiplied effect of your life and your witness is amazing. So we've all been given different responsibilities and different trust that God, that the owner of the vineyard has given us. It sounds very similar if you go to the gospels. In Matthew 9, Jesus said this. He says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I'm going to stop right there. Every time I read that section of scripture, it really moves my heart. You know, I, I think of Jesus in that moment, you know, when Jesus was on the earth and he was preaching the good news of the kingdom and, and he was doing miracles and word spread about him. And thousands, tens of thousands of people would come and would follow him. And it says right here that when he would look out at the crowd, it says his heart was filled with compassion. And I think about what that must have felt like. For Jesus as a man, he was fully God, fully man, but as a man to have omniscience, to have to be omnipotent and all knowing at the same time and to see and to know every single need, every single struggle, every single pain. It's no wonder his heart was filled with compassion. And he looked at he looked at the crowds and he said, these people are harassed and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. That's, that's, that's what our world is like. They're harassed and they're helpless and they're looking for answers. And what, so what does God tell us? And he said to his disciples, Jesus is speaking to you this morning, to me this morning. He said to his disciples, the harvest is 
plentiful. But the laborers, those day laborers, they're few. So what's our call? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest. So what is Jesus? What's the lesson Jesus is trying to tell Peter? He's trying to tell Peter, Peter, you're worried about your kingdom. You're worried about your time. You're worried about your authority and your position. I'm calling you and all of your disciples to go. Go to the harvest. Go to the harassed. Go to the helpless. Go to the lost. Look beyond the earthly realm. You know, the Christian life is not about temporary blessings. So many people have reduced the Christian life to what you could, what, what do I get? What's my do? What's in it for me? God, I'm, I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna worship you, but don't give me cancer. Don't, don't, don't let cancer come to my body. God, I'm gonna serve you, but, but as long as I have my job, as long as things are working out good for me and my 401k is, is filling up and things are looking good for my retirement, God, I'll serve you when things are good. You know, that's not the view of the kingdom. Christianity is not about temporary blessings. Because the truth is, we all know this, is one day, what's going to happen with all your stuff? If it's before the rapture, somebody's going to take it. All that money you you accumulate and store up, somebody's going to take it. People are going to fight over it. They're going to fight over your money. They're going to fight over your house. They're going to fight over your car. The government's going to take lots of taxes from your family members. And and you're not going to have it. At the end of the day, when we go to heaven, we're not going to have money. We're not going to have cars. We're not going to have this view of our successes. You know, some people think, well, well, I'm working really hard for Jesus. And so when I get to heaven, surely my rewards that I'm going to get are going to be really better than all those ones that aren't doing a whole lot of stuff. You know, when we get to heaven, all of our righteousness, all of our good works, the gospel that you preach, the, the people that you helped, you know what you're going to do with all of those crowns that you're going to get? says that you're going to bow down before the throne of God and you're going to lay them all down at his feet and give them to him in worship. That's what you're going to do. So life is not about temporary blessings. The Christian life is not about the, the accumulation of stuff and successes. It's about going. It's about going. It's about going into the harvest Going into the vineyard, the harvest field of the Lord, and reaping the harvest, the harassed and the helpless. Those that are bound by drug addiction, those that are bound by sexual sin, those that are depressed and oppressed and full of disease and sickness, those, those that don't believe there is a God, those, those that live lifestyles that we, we don't agree with, that aren't biblical, all, everything in between, we're called to go to them, to love them, to preach to them. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. So this is what Jesus is trying to get Peter to lift his eyes. Peter's eyes are right here on earth. He's trying to get Peter. Look up. Look up, Peter. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's Jesus telling Peter? What's Jesus telling his disciples? And what's Jesus telling us? He's saying, go. Go. Who can you reach? Let's stop and think right now. Stop right and think in your life right now. Who do you know right now that does not know Jesus? Just stop and think about it. So is it a co-worker? Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Family member, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a, grand, a, a grandpa. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, is telling us to go. To be that witness. To be that light. To share the gospel. That's kingdom thinking. Amen. Earthly thinking is that the Christian life is about me. Earthly, self-centered thinking is that my life centers around me. And what I can get out of Christianity. We're not promised earthly blessings. If you don't believe that, just talk. When you get to heaven, have a conversation with Peter. Have a conversation with John. With the other apostles that followed Christ. And they'll tell you. They'll tell you that they were martyred and persecuted for their faith. 
And so if that's what Christianity was to them, why would we believe it would be any different for us? So the first lesson is this. We have all been given a trust. That's kingdom view. That's kingdom mindset. We've been given a responsibility and a calling to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. What's the second lesson that we see here? Second one is this. Is that comparison is a paralyzing danger. Comparison is a paralyzing danger. Let's look at the text back in Matthew 20, 8 through 15. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when these, those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And I promise you, they were thinking, oh my goodness, I, I'm coming tomorrow to work for this guy. He gave me a full day's work and I probably only worked 45 minutes. Right? This is amazing. Now, when those hired first thought they would, would receive more. And so I just, this is, I don't know if this really happened. It's just my imagination. I see a line of people lining up. The, the foreman starting with the last, working his way to the front. The guys that, that worked the long hours are looking down the line. Did you, did you see what he gave him? He gave him a, a full day's wage. We Look, see, that's one hour, two, three, four. We're, we're, we're going to get like 12 times what this brother got. This is going to be amazing. And they're all excited and they're ready. They're, they've already spent their money before he's even down the line. They're thinking about bills they're going to pay off. They're thinking about debt they're going to get out of. They're thinking about a new fancy pair of shoes that they're going to buy. The golf that they're going to go play. They're just really excited. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, what did they do? They grumbled at the master of the house. They said, you've got to be kidding me. These guys right here, maybe they call them these idiots over here. I was watching them. They weren't working. You've made them equal to us. They were comparing themselves to their other workers. You made them equal to us. We have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We've been in the heat all day, 6 a.m. all the way to 6 p.m. They, they bore the weight of the work and the heat all day long. And these guys, these jokers right here, they show up an hour before and it's starting to be sunset and it's cool outside. They didn't, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve to get what I got. I worked harder for it. But he replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Do you begrudge my generosity? So what was going on there? The last workers were comparing themselves to the first, excuse me, the first workers were comparing themselves to, to the last worker. So through a kingdom mindset, what does that look like? That comparison is a dangerous, is a paralyzing danger for us. When we look at other brothers and sisters in Christ and we compare ourselves, we look at them and we think, well, they don't deserve God's blessing. They just got saved. They don't deserve to be up on that stage. Who are they to get what they're getting? Comparison is so dangerous. You know, sometimes we can look at other churches. We can see what they have going on at their church and we can think, man, our church stinks. We're not doing anything. It's comparison. It's looking at other brothers and sisters in Christ who have been given a trust, who have been given a calling by God, a unique calling and a unique gifting. And we look at them and we say, wait a minute, they're different than me or they're getting the same thing that I'm getting and I'm working harder and I'm better or or whatever. Comparison is a paralyzing danger. And just as, just as I said earlier, the, the disciples did this constantly. They were trying to compare themselves with other people and trying to jockey for position. So how are we tempted to compare ourselves with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Kind of wrote down some thoughts here. It says, I, I wrote down, we might ask the question, why are they blessed and I'm not? Why are they blessed and I'm not? That's a very easy question to ask. God, I've been serving you for so long and I still, still haven't had a breakthrough. I've been serving for so long. I've been volunteering and serving in your kingdom and being faithful and diligent and I still got sick. I still got laid off. And this guy here, this person here, they've come in and they're getting blessed. It's not fair. 
He didn't work all day long. He wasn't in the heat all day long. He hasn't done what I've done, been where I've been. Why are they getting blessed, God? And you would think, there's no way we would say that. There's no way we would say that. What's, what's another thing that we might feel? Second thing is this, is we might ask the question, why are they getting recognition and I'm not? Same type of thought. Why are they up on the stage? Why are they getting noticed? Why are they seen? And I'm not. I've been faithful, God. I've worked hard. Why, why are they not serving like I am? That's a, that's a challenging one. I'm about to step on some toes this morning. They should be doing what I'm doing. Why aren't they serving in that area of ministry? Everyone should be doing that. Why didn't, you know, like we might have some type of day or, or where we need people to serve and volunteer outside of Sunday. And if you're not careful, you can start thinking of the people you know that are not there. Why didn't they show up? Don't they know we're doing this? And that's that comparison. And if you're not careful, pride can slip in and you can begin to think that you're better than those other people. And we have no idea why those people were not there. And we start we start coming up with all kind of theories. Well, they, they, they just don't love the Lord or, or they're too busy for God or they don't love God as much as we do or whatever. Why are they not serving like I'm serving? Another question that we might ask would be what they are doing is not as significant as what I'm doing. That's a dangerous threat. Well, I'm up here preaching. I got the pulpit. You guys are all little minions. (laughs) Right? That's ridiculous. I'm no better than you are. You're no better than I am. We're all saved. We all come to the cross at the foot of the cross, desperate for God's grace. And we all go to heaven in love with Jesus and and, want to worship him for for eternity. My position is not any more significant than your position. I just happen to get to talk quite a bit. What they're doing is just, it's just, it's just peanuts. It really doesn't matter. Or, or you might think this. What I am doing is not as significant as what they're doing. You may think that. You may think, well, when I open that door up front, that's just not as important as somebody who preaches. Or it's not as, as important as somebody who plays the guitar or sings on stage. You can compare yourselves to people. So you may think, well, people in the body of Christ would never think like this. The apostle Paul didn't think so. And this is what he said, inspired by the Holy Spirit in First, in First Corinthians 12. This is one of my favorite sections of Scripture as concerning the body of Christ and how it's supposed to work. It's, it's a long section here, but it's so rich. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? That means if we all had the same gift, we all had the same trust that God had given us, if we're all the same, where would, where would, where would, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's a powerful truth right there. Those people that you're overlooking, you're thinking what they're doing really doesn't matter. They are indispensable. And on the, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we, we bestow the greater honor. And, our, and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so, so that there may, may be no division in the body, in his body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. That's the picture of the body of Christ. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We all have a unique part, a unique calling, a unique gifting. When you are there opening the door, when you're greeting, when you're driving the golf cart, when you're serving, whatever you're doing, it is needed. It is valuable. And we cannot compare ourselves. Comparison is a trap. And what happens when you spend your life When you spend your time comparing yourself to other people in the body of Christ, you do nothing. It paralyzes you. 
You get discouraged and, and, and you aren't busy going. You're not busy doing what God's called you to do because you're busy worrying about everybody else. And what are they doing? Why aren't they doing more? How come I'm not getting to do more? And you forget, just do what God's called you to do. Stay in your lane. Do what God has called you to do. And leave the rest up to God. Leave the rest up to God. God will take care of everything else. When we spend our time comparing ourselves with one another in the body of Christ, we distract ourselves from our calling. We can become paralyzed and ineffective in the trust that the Lord has given us. There is no inequality in God's kingdom. We all come to the cross the same way, on our face in desperation. And we are all called to be the servants of Christ. So this is my third point. This is kind of out from under the text in Matthew 20. But under the same theme, my third point is this. lesson we learn from this parable is this, is that we are all the under rowers of Christ. Like, I didn't know I was called to be an under rower. What's an under rower? Well, you're called to be an under rower of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, he says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And that word servants right there, the, the, the Greek word for that is, Chuck's going to put that up there for me. Um, it's not pronounced like it looks like. It's pronounced Huperetes. And it literally means this to row or an under rower or an under oarsman. So what was an under rower during Bible times? I've got a picture of what an under oarsman or under rower would look like. Now, this is not this is, I guess, an accurate picture of what it would have looked like. But the surroundings around those under oarsmen would not be exactly what that looks like. But the an, an under rower or an under oarsman was the lowest of the low. They were third level down galley slaves and they would sit and row this ship. They'd have their oar and they would row and move this ship constantly. No time for bathroom breaks, sitting in stuff, stinky, smelly slaves. That's an under rower, an under oarsman. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul gives of himself. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is somebody that we look up to as a mighty man of God. That God changes life. And because of him, the gospel spread all over the world. He says, if you're going to regard us as anything, if you're going to look at us as anything, look at us as under rowers, as under oarsmen. That God's just given me a call and I'm just pulling my oar. I'm just pulling my oar. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm just pulling my oar. God called me to God called me to do this or to do that, and I'm going to be busy pulling my oar. Don't look at me as anything special. Don't look at, at me as anything great. Don't look at me as anything better than you. You just tell people, I'm just pulling my oar for Christ. I am an under oarsman. And we don't worry about performance or results. You know, you can look at people and they can have the results. We don't know what's going to happen at the end. Maybe those results will be burned up because they were done in wrong motives. It's not up to us to judge how somebody pulls their oar. It's not up to us to worry about how often they pull their oar. Or they're taking too many breaks when they pull their oar. Motives will be judged. Motives will be revealed. We're just called to pull our oar as servants of Christ. What are you called to do? Pull your oar. Pull your oar, serve Christ. In the end, in the end, your motives will be brought to the surface. Paul continues there in 1 Corinthians 4. He says this. This is after he says, if you're going to regard me as anything, regard me as an under oarsman, an under rower. He says this, moreover, it is required of stewards, those who have been given a trust, that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Or by any human court. What, what, what's Paul saying there? Hey, you may judge my motives. You, you, you may think I'm doing this for the wrong reason, Paul's saying. And, 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 and that could be what you feel. You could feel judged by other brothers and sisters in Christ and feel like they're judging you for what you're doing, for how you pull your oar. He says, 
it's a very small thing for me that you do that. It really, it really doesn't matter. And you think, man, that sounds prideful. But really, honestly, it doesn't matter. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. What's he saying there? He's saying, you can't judge me accurately. I can't judge myself accurately. Even if I don't see anything wrong with me and my motives in my life, even I can deceive myself. You can be deceived and think that what I'm doing is for the wrong reason. I can be deceived and think what you're doing is for the wrong reason. But at the end of the day, what you think and what I think doesn't matter. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes. So you look at somebody and everything is successful and looking good. Don't don't judge that God's really in something before the time. Who will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. That's it. At the end of the day, we're under oarsmen, under rowers for Christ. We've been given a trust and a call and we just pull our oar. We pull our oar. I don't worry what you think. You don't worry what I think. We serve God faithfully. We, we say, God, if everyone thinks I'm crazy, my family thinks I'm crazy, my church family thinks I'm crazy, God, I know you have given me this trust and I'm going to go. I'm going to fulfill the passion and the call of God that you placed on my life. I'm going to pull my oar for an audience of one. And I'm going to leave everything else up to you. God, if my motives aren't right, God, purify my heart. And I'm not going to look at you and think that you're doing something for the wrong reasons. I'm going to trust that God's God's capable of dealing with all of us. We just are responsible to go. That's a kingdom view. And Peter and the disciples and all of us, we can be tempted to have that view. We can look at life and think it's about us and what we achieve. It's not about any of that. God's kingdom is not about the accumulation of wealth and possessions and prestige and being seen on TV and being prominent. It's not about any of that the end of the day, it's about who are we bringing with us to heaven? Who's going to be following behind us in our wake as we go to heaven? That's what it's about. And the rewards we might get for any of that, we lay it all down at the feet of Jesus Christ. We see ourselves as the Apostle Paul saw himself as a galley slave, just fulfilling my duty, pulling my oar for Christ pulling my oar for Christ. God will deal with the motives. He'll deal with your motives and he'll deal with everyone else. Just leave it up to him. What is the greatest, what should be our greatest motivation as believers in Christ? What should be our greatest motivation? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever oar you're pulling, whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. That's my fourth point. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, you have been so uniquely gifted. You've been so uniquely called. God has called you to be his servant, to be his under rower. And he's calling you for one purpose, one purpose alone, and that's to give him glory. To bring glory to his name. To make him famous. This is why we exist, church. This is why, this is why we exist. What does Living Word Church look like a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now? We're going to be doing the same thing for the same purpose. We're going to come here and we're going to gather. We're going to worship the Lord with awesome worship songs that exalt Christ and his name and his, and his majesty and his glory. And then we're going to open the Bible and we're going to teach it and preach it. And we're going to grow in our faith and we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go preach the gospel. We're going to go reach those that are harassed and helpless and lost without hope. Like sheep without a shepherd. That's what we're going to do. That's what our church is about. And that's what we're called to do. And each and every one of you are going to have an oar. If you want the oar, you can have an oar. You can be a part of this and you can pull your oar. You can be a part of bringing glory to Christ. 
So that's what we're going to be about. About giving glory to Christ. You may not be seen. You may not be recognized. You may not get the accolades or praise of men. When the scales are weighed, everything that is done from impure motives will be burned up. But that, but everything that is done for the glory of God, listen, everything that is done for the glory of God will have eternal impact. Don't ever doubt that. Listen, everything that you do for the glory of God will have eternal impact. You may not see it this side of heaven. You may not know it, but it will. It does have eternal impact. That cup of cold water that you poured, that meal you prepared for the meal train, that late night conversation that you had with somebody that was struggling, that door you opened for people to come into church, that smile you gave, that forgiveness that you refused to withhold, that guitar that you strum, the drums you beat, the songs you sing, the late practices, the life group that you lead, the soundboard that you run, the camera you sit behind, the golf cart you drive, the sign you hold, the questions you answer, the children you teach, the mission trip you go on, the jail you visit, the person you pray with at the altar, the time the talent and the treasure you give to God's kingdom for his glory are all making an impact in people's lives for eternity. All of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. All of you up here on the stage, the late practices, staying up late on Thursdays, practicing, all of you ushers and you greeters, you golf cart drivers, you volunteers, all of you, everything that you do matters in God's kingdom. You are preparing a way for people to come and hear God's word taught. You're preparing a way for others. It all matters. It's all valuable. And when you do it for the glory of God, you say, God, there is, there is, there is only one purpose that is worthy that I would give my life to. And that is the exaltation of your name. And when you come here and you, and you do it for that purpose... Lives are changed. And lives are impacted. Won't you stand to your feet with me? I want to read this. This is a, this is a quote from a, a medical missionary named David Livingston. He was a medical missionary to Africa in the 1800s. And he was asked to put into words the motives that shaped his life. And so this is what he said. He said, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much time of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own best reward in healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice say rather it is a privilege anxiety sickness suffering or danger now and then with the for with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink but let this only be for a moment all these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us I have never made a sacrifice because it was a privilege. Amen? Because it was a privilege. And why is it a privilege? Because we do it for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Once you close your eyes with me, I just want to pray for some people this morning. Maybe you've been weary in your well-doing. Maybe you have felt overwhelmed and you just feel like nobody... Nobody sees what I do. No one's valuing me. Nobody's seeing. I've been working hard serving the Lord and you're not seeing any results and you are feeling the weight and the burden of that on you. And you're wanting to give up and to stop. You're feeling weary. I'm here to encourage you that it's worth it. Just pull your oar. 
Be an under rower for Christ. Just pull your oar and trust God with the results. Trust God with the rest. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Obey him. Honor him. If you're feeling weary tonight, if you're feeling weary this morning, I just want you to raise your hands. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to get you to come down front. I just want to see your hands. If you're feeling weary in your work for the Lord, you feel like you're struggling and you're just like, Lord, I don't know what to do. If that's you, just lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you this morning for those who are in here, Lord. God, that they're struggling. I thank you that they're here, but they feel weary. They feel like, Lord, I've been pulling my oar. I've been pulling my oar. I've been serving you. And I'm not seeing the results that I thought I would see by this point. And I feel weary. God, I pray you would strengthen them. And you would remind them to look up. To look up to the glory of Christ. To look up to to, to why we do what we do. God, we do this all for your name and all for your glory. Lord, let them see that vision. Let them have a vision of you. That you are why we serve. You are why we give our time, our talent, and our treasure for the kingdom of God. It's for your name, for your renown, for your glory. Because your name is worthy to be praised. This is why we do it. God, remind them of that. Remind us all of that truth. That we do it for one name, for one person, for his glory. And so that this world can be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we exist. And Lord, I pray for Living Word Church, God, as we continue to move forward in the future. God, I pray that this would be our heart cry. That we are under rowers for Christ. That we are called, appointed, and anointed by God for special purposes and tasks. For your kingdom. And we're going to go. We're going to go. For your name and for your glory. I just want us to end singing this bridge or this song about Christ and I want us to glorify the only one worthy of praise can you do that with me just for a a couple minutes death could not hold you the veil tore before you you silenced the your people that are called by your name for your purposes 
going and doing the things that you've called them to do. God, you have sent us out into your harvest field. And it is about people coming to know you, placing their faith in you. Lord, may we make that our aim in everything that we do, every objective that we take on. It's about your name and your glory, your exaltation. May that be true today and tomorrow and for the rest of our life. May we live by that. Convict our hearts. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. You guys are dismissed. See you next week.